Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. This is Radio Boston. I'm Tiziana Deering. Super Tuesday. It's right around the corner, and it's when Massachusetts will vote for a Republican candidate for president. Now, meanwhile, across the country, it increasingly appears that the Trump-inspired are capturing party machines at all levels. That happened with the Massachusetts GOP a few years back, and it coincided with an implosion. Debt, lawsuits, created fundraising, electoral losses. Massachusetts appears to be tentatively crawling its way out, but... The pattern is repeating itself in states from Georgia to Arizona to Michigan, and such chaos can rattle the core of how our politics and our governing works. So let's talk about that. For more, we are joined by Lisa Kaczynski, author of The Political Massachusetts Playbook, Jonathan Osting, who's deputy editor and politics reporter for Bridge, Michigan, and Rachel Schilke, who's a reporter for The Washington Examiner. Lisa, welcome back to you. Thank you for having me. And Jonathan, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Rachel, welcome. Hello, nice to meet you. It's great to have all three of you. And listen, so what what first caught my attention about this is here we have this GOP in Massachusetts, a blue state that that tends to think of itself as pretty different because of that, but going through a pattern that appears to be similar to patterns elsewhere. Um, Let me just ask you first, all three of you, is that about right? Does that seem fair? Lisa Kaczynski, the Massachusetts one, does that seem fair? Yeah, I mean, the Mass GOP for a while now has been kind of a microcosm of what's happening with the GOP nationally in other states. The same, you know, takeover by a Trump-aligned official, uh, financial problems, infighting within the party about the future direction of the party, and electoral consequences. It's all there. So uh, let me ask you, uh, Rachel Schilke, you're with the Washington Examiner, so you're looking across the country. Those characteristics that Lisa Kaczynski just laid out for what had happened with the Massachusetts GOP sound familiar across the country? Yeah, it really does. And honestly, what is happening in Massachusetts and happening in several other states is really a trend of factionalism that has been popping up since really since Donald Trump left office in 2021. And we're seeing it follow into the 2022 midterms. And we're seeing it now with the 2024 election, where it seems to be allies of former President Donald Trump versus everyone else in the party. And Jonathan Osting, uh, tell us, uh, specifically in Michigan, similar kinds of things where there's actually a battle right now even about who is in charge of the state party there's there was a vote to remove the head she says nope the election doesn't count trump's picked a different leader some in the state say yep we have the new leader some say we have the old leader the debt looks like the debt in massachusetts similar kind of situation yes yeah we've got it all here in michigan um a takeover by uh, a chair last year and now that same chair has fallen out of favor with trump amid Very significant fundraising rose and an ongoing legal battle now uh, over who is the chair, which is not altogether unsurprising because the current chair, Christina Caramo, uh, rose to fame as an election denier and now is denying that she was removed as Michigan GOP state chair. 
All right. So that's where we are in this moment. And again, we're speaking with Jonathan Osting in Michigan, Lisa Kaczynski here in Massachusetts, and Rachel Shilsky, excuse me, Shilke out of Washington, as we look at this pattern and what it means. Now, in sort of the setup here, uh, the reason we should care is this destabilizes the bread and butter politics, policy, governance that happens state by state. And that kind of matters. Uh, Lisa Kaczynski, in Massachusetts, uh, when uh, the mass GOP went into chaos, uh, debt, uh, lawsuits, and a pretty big loss of power in elections at the city level, state level. Tell us a little more. Well, so we see this decline. Um, you know, the, the GOP has been losing legislative seats in Massachusetts for years. This didn't start with Jim Lyons, and it the may previous not end head with of the him. Mass GOP, who is a strong Trump supporter. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely. So this has been a problem for Republicans here for years. But what happened when these kind of divisions within the party, which are part pro-Trump and anti-Trump and part just very deeply personal clashes that have nothing to do with Trump himself or ideology. When those really just took hold in the past couple of years, that's when the GOP lost everything, lost the last statewide offices that they held. They haven't been in Washington for Massachusetts for years and that's what Amy Carnevale, the new state party chair, was starting with when she took over. And the GOP has been able to win effectively two special legislative elections, uh, you know, since she started. But it's still a huge deficit um, electorally that they're facing. Here. So here is that uh, uh, relatively new head of the Massachusetts GOP, Amy Carnevale, on Radio Boston back in February of 2023, about a month after she was, uh, you know, she took over. I did come into the position knowing we were about $100,000 in debt. Um, that was my assumption, um, more or less. Um after I was elected, we received um, uh, hefty invoices. Um, and again, last week I announced totaling $602,000. Um, that was a big surprise. Nobody expected that. Now, we've recently had Carnivale on, and she's told us that they've made significant headway in paying down that debt. One of the things that struck me in reading about other states, Rachel Schilke of the Washington Examiner, is the debt and the inability to then organize. You, know, you blow the old thing up. And then the debt and inability to organize around basics like fundraising and get out the vote seems to be a pattern. Is that fair? Yeah, that's really fair. And state parties have a real impact on the national stage. You know, state parties are the ones that are driving turnout. They're the ones that are recruiting the candidates. And if they don't have the inability to fundraise or to pitch these candidates to independents or to leaning conservative voters, especially in a state like Arizona, where independents make up more of the voting population than Republicans and Democrats. So in a state like that, you really need fundraising to pitch your candidate to move them forward. If you don't have that, then you're going to have the chance of losing your majority. That's what Republicans in the House in Washington, D.C. are facing right now. They have a very slim majority. It gets slimmer by the minute. In states that are battleground and trending purple, they really need to have the funds to pitch their candidates. Otherwise, they're not going to do well. So, uh, Jonathan Osting, you're in Michigan, and I want to be respectful of a little bit of the pushback that Lisa Kaczynski gave to the way I set this up. Lisa said, listen, some of these battles have been around 
for years. Uh, and some of this is actually quite deeply personal and not just about, you know, a Trump wing of a party versus a more traditional wing of a Republican party. So n- acknowledged and in Michigan, where you've been doing deep reporting, and you know, you've got uh, former ambassador Pete Hoekstra as, you know, one titular head of the party. You've got Karen Caramo as another. You've got this situation where there's a formal primary that the state has chosen in February, but the Republican party has also said we're going to caucus and more of our uh, delegates will come from the caucus. But now the two party heads are holding separate caucuses. Um, is it deeper and the waters run deeper and the animus is more personal than sort of that surface framing that I gave, Jonathan? Um, yeah, I mean, it's very complicated. There is, of course, a sort of establishment versus grassroots undercurrent. I mean, former Ambassador Pete Hoekstra obviously was in Congress and an ambassador, so he's sort of from the establishment wing. But long before he was chosen to replace Karamo, there was a whole bunch of infighting. You know, the party was essentially taken over by uh, delegates who really didn't have any political experience, but maybe were inspired to join the party by Donald Trump. And once they got into power, they learned it was pretty hard to actually govern, even just a state party. Um, and uh, there was, in fact, a, a fist fight uh, that broke out at one uh, state convention. There was uh, another incident where someone was kicked in the groin or the crotch uh, at a state um, meeting. And this was all before sort of the establishment uh, in in the form of Pete Hoekstra came back into the fold. So, um, you know, it was rocky from the start. Amy Carnevale, uh, sorry, not Amy Carnevale, Lisa Kaczynski. I'm thinking about what Amy Carnevale has been dealing with um, in trying to unite a party that, as you said, has had some infighting for years. What Jonathan's talking about there feels extreme. Does it sound extreme compared to what you've seen in Massachusetts? And based on reporting of yours that I've read, some attempts to push her back out uh, in favor of uh, representatives who support sort of the Jim Lyons wing of the Massachusetts Republican Party? Well, I don't think I've seen anyone get f- into a physical altercation uh, with the GOP, but I have sat in those state committee meetings and watched people come pretty close to it. I've seen some screaming matches. Uh, there's definitely a lot of tension Um that kind of spills into the more visible and visceral. But yeah, to your other point, there is a push underway to by kind of opponents of Amy Carnevale, both for her leadership and because of kind of what happened, everything surrounding Jim Lyons, the former chair, who are trying to win enough state committee seats in the upcoming election, which You will see it on, you know, if you pull a Republican ballot for uh, Super Tuesday on March 5th, you will also have the opportunity to elect folks to the Republican State Committee. So opponents of Amy are running a slate of candidates to try and win enough seats on the state committee. You need a majority to basically force a vote on her chairmanship, chairwomanship, and force her out early. Uh, The term is supposed to be two years. There's a loophole that allows them to do that now. So kind of the, you know, long and short of it is the power struggle is still there. It's not over. And Amy, even though she's made progress in paying down the debt, helping elect Republicans so far, 
and really just making the mass GOP a player again, at least in terms of being in the news cycle more and in a slightly more positive way that is at risk right now, you know, with how those state committee elections could go. So again, we're speaking with Lisa Kaczynski of Political Massachusetts Playbook, Jonathan Osting, who's deputy editor and politics reporter for Bridge, Michigan, and Rachel Schilke, who's a reporter for the Washington Examiner. And we're looking at this pattern, which we have seen to some extent here in Massachusetts, and it's playing out across the country of a destabilizing in-state Uh, Republican committees and infrastructure that has really deep impact on the basic workings of local government and elections and those kinds of things. Um, Rachel, Jonathan talked about the fact that in Michigan, experienced sort of local operatives were replaced by people who were inexperienced. Um, it, It is not hard to understand those who are upset and feel that they have been badly served to say, I want to blow this thing up, right? Figuratively, I want let, let off with their heads. Let's get rid of folks. We need something new. Um, it is also not surprising if folks are inexperienced to do that. They then might not know how to handle the 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 infrastructure that you then are responsible for managing to get the day to day nuts and bolts of electoral politics done in a state. This idea that the inexperienced replace the experienced and now don't have the skills they need, is that core to what you're seeing across the country? Yeah, it is. And I think it also kind of ties into a, a different but a similar topic that happened in the midterms where, you know, extreme candidates from the right wing or the right flank, depending on how you look at it, beat out moderate Republican candidates in the midterms, and then they went on to lose to Democrats. So oftentimes these extreme far-right candidates were inexperienced, but they had the grandstanding, they had the vigor, they had the energy to draw Republican voters in. But then when matched up against a Democrat, it was very obvious that the GOP candidate did not have the experience. So then at the at the end of the day, if you're electing candidates that are inexperienced at the national stage, there's not going to be much work getting done. You're not going to be wanting to engage in bipartisanship, either across the aisle or intra-party, moderate Republicans working with some of those hardline conservative candidates. So it really does start at the state level to find those candidates who can boost your party. And the GOP for years has had a hard time getting these young Republican leaders that are both charismatic, but also experienced to elevate them to the national stage. And if you can't do that, then that's going to mean a lot of losses for Republicans. And as you are saying, I mean, what resonates when I hear you, Rachel Schilke, is we are seeing a lot not getting done in the U.S. House of Representatives, for example, where, you know, you see the Senate pass a a immigration and aid package and it doesn't get done in the House. So then they take out the immigration portion and they pass another aid package, bipartisan, and it won't make it to the floor of the House. Am I extrapolating too much or is that the pattern you're talking about? It's almost laughable because not at all. You are hitting it right on the head. Um, It is very hard to watch and see kind of the back and forth that's happening between not only the Senate and the House, but in the House as well. The House has not been able to make as much progress as Republicans said they were going to make when they took the majority in the 2022 midterms. And so, you know, as everybody saw in the fall, there was an ousting of Kevin McCarthy. And that came from 
a collection of eight Republicans who were unhappy and kind of to speak to what the other um, reporters have been saying, that that was a personal animosity thing. A lot of those things. Some of it was because of certain things that did not get done or promises that weren't kept. But for some of them, it was a personal vendetta. And so you saw the ousting of McCarthy. And then there were the three rounds to elect a new speaker. And a lot of those failed. And so finally, we have settled on Mike Johnson. And we still have not really been able to see much progress because of government shutdown or because of the foreign aid bill, as you said. So really, a lot of this intra-party fighting is keeping moderate Republicans and those hardline conservatives from working together to the point where moderate Republicans are saying, I don't know what else we can do because we're trying our best. We're trying to do what we said we would come here to do and we can't hit the mark. And so we've been bouncing right back and forth between the super local to the state to the national with that national ringing in our ears. I'm going to do one more national thing, but bring it back to you, Lisa in Massachusetts, Jonathan in Michigan. Now we see a push uh, at the Republican National Committee level to throw out the old guard and uh, put in, for example, Laura Trump, wife of former president's, uh, uh, the former president's son, Eric, who appears to be in line to become co-chair of the RNC next month. Here's Laura Trump in an interview on Newsmax this month. If I am elected to this position, I can assure you there will not be any more $70,000 or whatever exorbitant amount of money it was spent on flowers. Every single penny will go to the number one and the only job of the RNC. That is electing Donald J. Trump as president of the United States. So I'm not focused on the $70,000. I'm focused on the second half of that, Lisa and Jonathan. When the agenda is that national, what happens when you have chaos or working to recover from chaos in Massachusetts's case in the state parties and tons of local issues, local governance, local elections that need to get done too? Lisa, I'll start with you. Look, Amy Carnevale, uh, the Mass GOP chair, has been clear that it's hard for Republicans to run at any level in a presidential year in Massachusetts, just given how blue this state is, despite all the independence that we have. So having that focus and having really just just focusing in on Trump likely and potentially being at the top of the ticket again that's just going to make all the work that Amy is trying to do to sort of rebuild the bench, even as small as, you know, local elections, state legislative seats. I'm not even talking federally. It's just going to make it that much more difficult. And right now, Amy Carnevale has a pretty good working relationship with the RNC um, and with our committee men and women on the RNC. If that changes under new leadership, it raises questions about, you know, kind of, again, what that will mean for her efforts to sort of rebuild the Massachusetts GOP, both electorally and financially. So, Jonathan, uh, so what does this mean for people in Michigan? Sort of either take it to the next place or, you know, same thing in Michigan that we just asked Lisa. Yeah, well, Michigan has been a little more competitive in presidential elections. Trump actually won here narrowly in 2016 before losing in 2020 by a somewhat wider margin, but still pretty narrow. So, um, you know, he's not necessarily a dead weight on the ticket here. Um, that said, the strength and organization of the RNC really does matter. I mean, it's traditionally one of the biggest donors to the Michigan Republican Party and efforts that the state party then is able to take on behalf of candidates up and down the ticket. 
ticket um, here uh, because with, we did, we don't have a strong party right now. The donor class has essentially created their own outside mechanism. They are fundraising separately from the state party and spending sp- directly on the state legislative races to really try and make a difference there, uh, sort of expecting that the state party is not going to play a huge role this year. Okay, so last question is a lightning round, just sort of one sentence for each of you. Jonathan, what will you be watching for next? Well, I'm going to be in court this afternoon, actually, to see what shakes out with the Michigan GOP leadership fight. All right. And Rachel Schilke in Washington, what will you be watching for? We have a government shutdown next week, so going to be paying attention to that. Or potential, at least. And Lisa Kaczynski, you here in Massachusetts? Uh, Got to see what's going to happen with the state committee race on Super Tuesday. All right. Lisa Kaczynski of Political Massachusetts Playbook, Rachel Schilke, reporter for The Washington Examiner, and Jonathan Osting, deputy editor and politics reporter for Bridge, Michigan. Fascinating. Thanks to all three of you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.